0: And I want to remind us of our mission. Our mission, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. That is our mission. And why do I say it every single week? Because maybe you're one that man, he says it every single week. I know. Because I, I really want that to make us make our mission. Not, you know, as every, as, as this church members, you know, collectively, but also for us individually, personally, that we would be the ones sharing this gospel message with those that we rub shoulders with day in and day out because we love them. We want them to know that the greatest news is that God died for us in our place. So, with that being said, we're going to continue in a series we started two weeks ago. We've been calling this series "Money Matters," and we're going to be all over the Bible this morning. So, I don't have a, a selected or passage I'm going to tell you to turn to. Just be ready to flip your Bible left and right. Uh, this message I'm calling, calling "Promises for Living a Generous Life," and so we've been looking at this this issue about our money for past two weeks, and this week, and Lord willing, one more week to come, and we're, we've been looking at what the Bible says about money, and I want you to know, this is probably, has been the most difficult sermon series I've ever preached, okay, you're like, wait, wait a minute, you know, I, I spent over 30 weeks in the book of Romans here, and i ended up spending four weeks on money, Lord willing, but um, I've never done a series on money before, On giving and the promises in the Bible, I've never done a whole series. I usually just preach one sermon, hit it, and then and then leave. And then then I've never so I've never done a a multiple series on on money, but. Usually what I do I pick a book of the Bible and work all our way through it mining out these truths and just how amazing they are And this has been true for this series But when it comes to money what I would rather do this is just me personally I'd rather hit it once and then just move on because it's just it's awkward to talk about Okay, but but there's a couple reasons why i'm I'm gonna hit this several weeks in a row um when it comes to our kids Typically, they have to hear a message more than once before it finally sinks in. And all the parents say, amen. We got a strong one up front. Yeah. Um, The truth is, we're no different. Okay, we have to hear a message over and over and over again before it finally sinks in. And so that's why being a pastor, and I want to be a good pastor, I'm going to tell you a message over and over and over again. But there's another reason why I'm doing this multiple times. Did you know... That Jesus spoke more about money than any other subject there is. More than heaven, more than hell. Actually, more than heaven and hell combined, Jesus spoke about money. Man, can we all agree that Jesus is the greatest pastor, preacher the world will ever see? Can we all say agree on that? Okay. Not that I'm even going to come close to him, not even the same ballpark, but still as your pastor, I should aspire to do what Jesus did. Well, if Jesus spoke more about money than anything else, maybe I should devote more of my time and my study to money and what it's uh, the Bible says about money. Okay. So we are spending this much time talking about money because one, Jesus said so. If Jesus did this, we should probably do this. But also, what we do with our money might be more telling than anything else about what we really believe. That, that is really a, a litmus test. What we do with the dollars that God gives us is a litmus test to what we truly believe. Now, I believe God wants his kids to be generous with the wealth that he gives us. Why? Well, because he's generous. That's namely one. But it's also, since he's a generous giver, he wants his kids to be generous. He wants us to be like him. So that's why we're going to talk about this again. Now, there's promises that are connected in the Bible. They're connected to if we live a generous life. Why does the Bible talk about generosity? One, because God is generous and he wants us to be like him. But also because giving is hard. You don't have to amen that. I know you want to amen that, but don't. Uh, Generosity being giving is, is hard because it really challenges our selfish nature naturally we are very selfish and so to give it challenges who we are at our core even after coming to christ after coming to faith in christ we are still sinful and so giving challenges our sinful nature we naturally want to take care of ourselves we want to take care of numero uno and we usually think that's us okay but giving challenges that So this message today, I want to give you five promises, five rewards, five reasons why we should all live a generous life. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs. This is going to come fast. We we have it up on screen if you can't get there fast enough. Proverbs 22, verse 9. The Word of God says, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Here's my first promise this morning. Promise number one. God promises good things will happen to those who are generous. So God just said the person with a bountiful eye or a, a good eye, they're, they're, they're the ones who's generous with the poor. They're going to be blessed. So if, you're, if, if you want God's blessing in your life, the key to unlocking that is generosity. Because the writer of Proverbs just said, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. So if you want God's blessing in your life, then be generous. That's what the Bible just said. And this is where so many pastors, this is where the, the message turns and they'll say, well, if, God, if you want God's blessing in your life, then you have to give to prime the pump, so to speak. But with that motive, that motive is wrong, okay? That, that is the reason we're giving is so that we can get, but the motive for a believer should be that we give so that God will bless somebody else. The truth is, we might get the money back that we give, and we might not. We may never see that money again. I don't know. But, but with our giving, we should never be motivated to give so that we get. We give in our motivation so that we, somebody else will be blessed. We want Jesus to bless somebody else. That is the motivation for our giving. Look in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. The Word of God says, In all things we have shown you. That by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Jesus just said it is more blessed to to get than to give. Okay, that fell on deaf ears. I said it wrong on purpose. I was hoping somebody would catch that because that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, when I was a kid at Christmas time, Christmas time for me was all about me. It's how many, how many presents are under the tree and how many of those presents have John's name on it. And those presents with John's name on it, are they big boxes or are they little boxes? That's what I was concerned about. And I remember one Christmas, I counted up the boxes and I don't know how many private presents so there was like 20, maybe 15. I don't remember. There was a bunch of presents and there was one box. It was a big box. I remember what's in that box. Oh, man, I can't wait for Christmas. I can't wait to open that box with my name on it. And the truth is, I didn't wait till Christmas. My mom, I bet my mom's probably watching on right now, she had this growth lamp for a house plant, and I learned that if I took that box and put it next to that growth light, I could see through the paper. Yeah, and I knew I was going to get that G.I. Joe tank, and I'm so excited. I'm going to get the G.I. Joe tank. And my mom learned, then you double ply the wrapper, and then it doesn't work anymore. Um... Our mom doesn't have a growth lamp, so it doesn't work for you guys. But anyways, why did I do that? Because I'm a little sinner. Now I'm a big sinner. But I was a little sinner back then. Christmas was all about me and what I'm getting. But now, I really don't want anything. Anything I want, I just go out and buy it now. So I don't need anything. I don't want anything. But what is a real blessing for me as an adult is getting something for those I love and, and watching their faces light up on Christmas morning as they give, uh, give them what I, I have given them, it, get what I give them. Why? Why is that so much better now? The reason why? Because Jesus is right. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So as you grow up, you mature, and what changes? Your desires change. You begin to learn that the greater blessing is in giving and not getting Look in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. The word of God says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And the one who waters will himself be watered. Th- that is saying that if you're generous, you're going to prosper. That you're going to be enriched. That if you take care of somebody else, you don't make it about yourself. That, that, that you're going to be blessed. Maybe what you give come, comes back to you and maybe it won't. But you need to be a blessing to somebody else. If you want God's blessing in your life, be a blessing to somebody else. Cultivate a heart that in a a lifestyle of generosity. You know, there's an amazing contrast between the Sea of Galilee, which is in the north of Israel, and the Dead Sea that's in the south. Because the Sea of Galilee, it's teeming with life. Uh, That's the very same body of water that Jesus and the disciples were fishing on. There's fish and life, and it's just amazing. But then what happens is... The water leaves the Sea of Galilee, it, it empties into the Jordan River, and it travels south, and then it, it dumps itself into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is, is amply named because there is no life in it. You can fish all day long, you're in the Dead Sea, you're not going to catch anything because there's no fish. Life is impossible because the mineral content is so high that nothing can live. Why? Because the Sea of Galilee is constantly dumping, dumping, dumping into the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea never gives out. And that's why it's dead. It has such a high mineral content. You can actually float in it. And it's it's amazing, but there's no life. And that's how it is with so many Christians. They get, but they don't give. So material possessions are like water. You have to keep them flowing or they will putrefy your life. So I want you to know standing water is dangerous, but flowing water... It's like money. It's it's flowing and it's beneficial and it's life-giving. Look in Proverbs chapter 3, verse number nine. The Word of God says: Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your possessions. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Here's my second promise for it this morning. Promise number two. God promises he will bless the work of those who are generous. Does anybody here have a barn or a vat? A couple of us? I know there's more than one. Come on. We have barns. We call them we have spare garages, if you will. Maybe you just have a pile of sugar beets. I don't know. But, but with the context of the writer of Proverbs, it was a, an agricultural society. So the readers were Farmers. So the barns, the vats, they represented a people's work. It, made, it represents their business, their investments, really their livelihood. And so God is saying there, he says, I will bless your business. I will bless your career. I bless your, bless your investments if you honor me. That's what God is saying. God doesn't want, I mean, who doesn't want God's blessing in our work, and our business? We all should have our hands up. So here's the principle. If you honor God, God's going to honor you. Now, I'm not talking about some quid pro quo relationship. That's not what I'm talking about because God doesn't need us. But he will honor us if we honor him. And we honor him by making him the priority of our life. I want you to know there's nothing more telling about what you really put as a priority in your life if we were to go through your checkbook and really see where all your money's going. So there is a premise and there's a promise in Proverbs chapter 3. The premise is honor God with your wealth, with the first fruits of your produce. The word first fruits, it means your first, it means your best, it means right off the top, the, the cream that you take right off the top, if you will. Because God doesn't want your leftovers, He doesn't, He wants your first fruits. How would you feel if I invited you over to my house for dinner, and when dinner time comes, I just start pulling leftovers out of the fridge that I had the night before? My plan is I'm going to heat them up in the microwave. Hey, I'm going to give you my leftovers. I think my wife is probably crawling, cringing in her seat just hearing that, because that would, that would make her stomach turn, as I'll probably hear about later. But God doesn't want our leftovers either. You don't want my leftovers. He doesn't want your leftovers. Okay, he, he, the, he, he desires for us to give the first fruits. The first fruits are a tithe. And the word tithe, it just simply means 10%. That we give God 10% of the income that he blesses us with. And again, the tithe comes right off the top. It's the first fruits. It's the first place. It all goes back to God. Now, I say back to God because it's all really his. He gave you everything you have, so your, simp- your tithe is just you simply giving back to God what's already His. And, and here's what leftovers look like in our life practically. Because when it comes to our money, we earn it, and we, we, we spend it typically on ourselves, and we maybe repay some debt, maybe we even save a little, we put some away in savings, and then we give. That's Leftovers. That's leftovers because the order is out of whack. Okay, we aren't to give off the bottom. We are to give off the top. But check out that promise again. Look back in Proverbs 3 verse 10. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Okay, God is saying, I'm going to provide for you abundantly. You're going to have more than enough. You're you're not going to possibly imagine what I can give to you. I mean, this sounds like an amazing promise to me. But this promise, it really challenges our faith. It challenges our faith because we are to give to God and see what he does. But we like to manage our our money too. Uh, What we're saying is, you know what? I can do a better job managing my money than God can. So to give to God really challenges our faith. Look back in Proverbs 11 again. We looked at verse, just verse 25. Look at 24 and 25 together. The word of God says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Here's my third promise for us this morning. Promise number three. God promises those that are generous will end up with more. I'm, I call this the economy of God. Okay? Again, we don't give so that we get. We, because with that reasoning, our, our motivation for giving is, is way out of whack. With that motivation, we're not giving because of our love for God. We are, we're giving so we can get something. So we don't give so that we get a blessing. We give so that we will be a blessing you give so that you'll be a blessing to somebody else. But here's what I want you to know, you can't outgive God. Okay? God says essentially in the Bible, let's play a little game. You give and I'm going to give and we'll just see who gives the most and you're going to lose that every single time. Because God can outgive us no matter what. Look what Jesus said about this in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 37. This this first part is probably very familiar to us. Where Jesus says, "Judge not, And you will not be judged. Condemn not. And you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And here's the part we often forget. Verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be put in, and it will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So this is what Jesus is using this illustration. Picture you're holding this sack and you're packing it down. You're shaking it together you're, so you can make more room. I, I picture I do this with the trash every day, trying to get more in there before I have to take it away. But with what Jesus is saying there, there's going to be so much. is going to be pouring out, pouring into your, to your lap so you can make more room. But you can't even make enough room because it's constantly running over. This person that follows this this, this advice is gonna have so much, you're not gonna have a bag big enough to carry it at all. And the way you give, God will give to others. It's a spiritual boomerang principle, if you will. And God is wanting you to be generous because you're reflecting His generosity. So my challenge you to you, that my question to you is are you giving like God wants you to give? Because if you're given like God wants you to give, then I want you to know he's going to meet all your needs. Okay? It sounds to be good to true, right? But he's going to meet all your needs, not necessarily all of your greeds. There's a huge difference in that. God says, you put me first, you be generous, and I'm going to meet all of your needs. Not necessarily all of your greeds. But I want you to be open-handed with your finances. That's what, G, what God is saying there. And he's going to meet all our needs. Look in uh, Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. The word of God says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. Here's my fourth promise. Promise number four. God promised to meet all the needs of those who are generous. In verse 17 and 18 of Philippians chapter 4 It's essentially a thank you note That Paul is writing to the church of Philippi Because they were so generous with him So he could do the ministry That he needed to do And then he says in verse 19 God will supply every need of yours According to his riches So God's gonna He's gonna meet every one of your needs And I can't say this enough time He's not necessarily gonna meet all your greeds It's, It's night and day difference I remember my wife and I, we hadn't been married very long, and we went on a vacation to Vegas. We went to the National Finals Rodeo. And it was, if you've never been, there's more food that you can possibly eat. It was a great time. And there's also more shopping than you can ever do. And we were going through one of the, uh, those big convention halls, looking at everything they have to buy. Man, there was some amazing stuff in there. And I remember going up and looking at a bedroom set. And I looked at the price tag on that bedroom set, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> They're pretty proud of that bedroom set, and I was, I was a little shocked, and I didn't buy that bedroom set, if you're wondering, and we left that place, and we came back a few years later, and I think it might have been the same bedroom set if it wasn't as really close, and I saw the price tag, and now it wasn't shocking. That, that, that bedroom set was just straight-up laughable. I'm like, who pays that much money for a bedroom set? You know, what changed? Well, the... the the bedroom set didn't change. The sticker did, didn't change. The price tag didn't change. I had changed. Yeah, so, so what had changed is God changed me. So at that time, I'm more like, hey, how about I run to the lumber store and let me buy some screws and some wood and I can put together a bedroom set. Won't be as beautiful as that bedroom set, but I bet I sleep a lot better because I'm not in debt and we still have a, have a bedroom set to sleep on. But can you see how God would meet my need in that situation? Not necessarily my greed. And he met my need by changing my desires. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. The word of God says, Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things, in all times, you may abound in every good work so here's how we're to give don't give reluctantly okay that's not what god wants we're not to give with sorrow we're not to give with grief not not to give out of pain because some people say well i gave till it hurt that's not what god wants i heard a story of a father that that left a church service and the whole way home, he just complained. He said, oh, that, that, the, that worship leader, they were singing too loud. They, they sang too many songs. The, the announcements were unclear. That pastor was long-winded. Man, he just wouldn't stop talking. There was a very observant young man sitting in the back seat and said, you know what, Dad? You got to admit it was a great show for a buck. Okay, that was hilarious. I'm like, what's going on with you guys? <laughs> I, I read that and I'm like, that's funny. Apparently, um, you didn't think it was that funny. Maybe next time. <laughs> But we shouldn't give out a compulsion. We shouldn't we should be pressured to give. Never give because you feel pressured to. Because if you give because you're pressured to, there's, there's no blessing in that. But God doesn't want a stingy giver. Paul said, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's how we're to give. Willingly. We're to give cheerfully. The word cheerful that Paul uses there is hilarios in the Greek. It's where we get our English word hilarious from. So giving, it should be fun. It it shouldn't be a chore. It should be a delight. It shouldn't be a duty. It helps to know that cheerful giving, it really comes from the heart. When we're giving from the heart and not out of obligation. But here's the promise. God's going to meet all your needs. And God blesses you for one main purpose. You want to know the main purpose? The purpose of his blessing is not so that you can hoard things and you can spend them on yourself. That's the basis for the prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel. God blesses you so you'll be able to abound in every good work. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. God gives to you and then you give to others, and so then God gives back to you, and he's going to meet all your needs. He's going to, so he does this so you're a channel of his blessing. So God's going to meet your needs so you can be a channel of his blessing. But here's, maybe you need to write this down. There's two ways we can give. We can either give out a reason or we can give out a revelation. When we give out a reason, that's where we just sit down and we look at our, our bank statements and we tally up and we say, this is how much we can give. Okay. That, that requires no faith at all. That's just simply doing some math and coming up with a number of what you can think you can afford and not cut into your lifestyle too much. But when you give revelation, that's where you just pray. You're like, God, how much do you want me to give? Then give that amount. That requires faith to give like that. And that, that, that type of giving, that is a real test of your faith. But people make excuses why they can't tithe all the time. People will say things like, well, I can't afford to tithe. Well, I would say, well, you can't afford not to tithe. Because we all want God's blessing in our life. You want want God's blessing? Start trusting God. Start trusting God with your finances. And he's going to bless you in ways you can't imagine. Now, again, it might not be financially, but it's going to be some way. People say things like, well, I would give if I had more. Typically, that's not true. So for most people, if we get more, that means we spend more. We have more bills. We have more, more things that we're trying to purchase. So if we have more, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to give more. Or people say, well, tithing is an Old Testament thing. Well, if you want to be biblically accurate, tithing is pre-law. It comes before the Old Testament law because tithing can first be seen in, in a man named Abraham when he ties to a Very unique priest by the name of Melchizedek. And then 420 years later, Moses is given the law. Then people say tithing is optional because now we're under grace. We're under this new covenant. We're not under the law. And a popular passage for this grace giving is that 2 Corinthians 9 passage we just read. But the Apostle Paul, he says that our giving should be systematic, it should be proportional, it should be regular, it should be sacrificial, it should be generous, and it should be done from a willing heart. Not under compulsion, but let me ask you this. As New Testament believers, should we really expect to give less? Here we're what I call on the right side of the cross. We know what Jesus has done for us on that cross when he paid for our sins. Should we really expect to give less than an Old Testament believer that really didn't see the full manifold of God's grace and wisdom that was to come? Should we be required to give less even now? Now we have a greater blessing. Or people say things. Well, Jesus never spoke about a tithe. It's not true. Jesus did speak about tithing. Look in Matthew chapter 23 verse 23. Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus was pretty hard, rightfully on the Pharisees, the the scribes, um, because there was not a lot they got right. But one thing they got right, that Jesus says they got the tithe right. But that's the only compliment Jesus ever gave those guys. But, I mean, if you think about it, these guys are even tithing off their spice rack. But with the Pharisees, it was all a religious cover-up. They were playing, um, let's make a deal with God. They were saying, hey, God, we're going to tithe, but we're not going to give you our hearts. So I say, don't do that. Don't use a tithe as a cover-up of, of doing something, of not doing something else that you, God should be doing. And Jesus just said, I'm, I'm glad you tithe, but there's more important things that you should have done than the tithe. So again, don't substitute tithing uh, for, for your lack of doing mercy and faithfulness. Here's what I'll say. Do both. That's what we're supposed to do. Look in Malachi chapter 3 verse 7. The word of God says, From these days of your fathers you have turned aside for my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. For you say, how, shall we, how have we robbed you in your tithe and contributions? You are cursed with a cursed. for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you bring the full tithe in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruit of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Here's the fifth and final promise for us this morning. Promise number five, God promises to tie his blessings to generous living. In that passage, God just tells his people, he says, return to me and I'll return to you. And so then the people ask a very good question. How shall we return? And to notice, God doesn't answer their question. He asks a question instead. He says, will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. The word rob there in the Hebrew, it means to mug. It means to pillage, to plunder. It means to take by force. God's saying, you're robbing me. You're taking what is rightfully mine. You're taking the stuff that belongs to me. And when you consider that it's God that's speaking there, that's some pretty serious stuff. And the people are saying, well, how in the world are we robbing God? And God answers. In your tithes, and your contributions, in your lack of generosity, in your refusal to give back to me what is rightfully mine. That's what God says. And again, the word tithe, just simply means 10%. But I want you to know that tithing, the 10%, it's not the legalistic limit. This is, this, is, this is what you need to do to be right with God. That's not what it means. But I do want you to know tithing is a baseline. It's a, it's, a, it's a good rule of thumb. It, it is a good place to start when it comes to a life of generosity. Tithing should never be seen as the ceiling, but really it's the, the floor. It's a starting point. It's Really, it's an on-ramp to living a generous life. But God says, you give back to me that 10% that's mine, and I'm going to let you keep the 90%. Why did God say 10%? I have no clue. I'm just glad he said 90, you keep 90 and give me 10. He could have said, you give me 20. He could have said 50, 90. He could have said, give me everything. So 10, 90 splits a pretty good deal when you think about it. But I want to be very clear. God doesn't need your money. The entire universe belongs to him. He's the owner of it all. He's the very creator of the gold and silver and the diamonds this world will ever see. So anything that we would give is nothing compared to what he already has. But here's the two main reasons that we are to give. One, God wants us to be generous because he's generous. So he wants us to be like him. But he wants us to trust him. So if you're not tithing, that's where it needs to start. And you can't be generous if you're robbing God. Look back in verse 10 of Malachi chapter 3. God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So God says, bring the tithe Again, that's the 10% into the storehouse. In the old Testament, the storehouse, that was the temple. Now we don't have a temple today. We are the temple of God. We talked about that in our, our series through Haggai, but we are to bring a, it is an act of worship In the old Testament believer. They brought their tithe to the storehouse, the temple. And today we bring our tithe to the church. So tithing, it's an act of worship. God say, says there, he says, thereby put me to the test. Very clearly, God says, test me. Do you know this is the only time in the Bible that it says you can prove God exists? Because God's like, hey, give me 10% of your income and just watch how I bless your life. And again, I want to be crystal clear. It may not be financial. Okay? It, may, it, may, it will be somehow. I don't know how, but it, it may be something else. Because there's a lot of people that view tithing as if God is a cosmic pinata, and then we use the tithe like a stick. And if I'm not getting what I want out of God, then I just need to get a bigger stick. And I need to hit God with the, the, with the stick so I can get all his goodies and blessings. God doesn't work like that. Okay, also, God's not a genie in the bottle, and we rub the bottle to, to get what we want. And the tithe is that rubbing of the bottle. It doesn't work that way. That's the prosperity gospel that teaches that God's like a piñata. God is a genie. He's going to give you what you want. He's going to bless you financially if you give to him. That if you give $100, he's going to give you back 1000 That doesn't work that way. That's the, the prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel. It's a lie from the pit of hell. But I believe in generosity theology. Generosity theology is where I give because I'm madly in love with Jesus. And I want, him to be, I want him to bless somebody else. And that should be our, our motivation for giving. So let me ask you, do you believe these promises that I've laid out to you this morning? Do you believe that God promises good things will happen to those who are generous? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God promises he will bless the work of those who are generous? Do you believe that God promises that those who are generous will end up more? Do you believe that God promises to meet all the needs of those who are generous? Do you really believe that? That God's going to meet your needs. And do you believe that God promises to tie his blessings to generous living? Because here's the cold hard facts. We only believe the parts of the Bible that we do. Let me say that again. We only believe the parts of the Bible that we do. So if you're not doing something in the Bible, that just proves that you don't believe it. But as a pastor, as your pastor, I'm challenging you to to believe the entirety of the Bible. All of it. Even the hard parts, even the parts that challenges our faith, not only in giving, but also forgiveness and love and compassion. I'm asking you to do it all. God's not concerned with how much you know. God's concerned with how much you will believe and how much you obey, how much you live out. That's what God wants. And for some of you, when it comes to this tithing issue, it might be scary. And maybe this is something you've never done before, but I want you to—I want, I want to challenge you to trust God like you've never trusted him before because God says, test me in that Malachi passage. But if you need a reason to trust God, let me give you the greatest reason I could possibly think of. Because God died for you. God died because of you and he died in your place so that you could be forgiven of your sins. Maybe you don't know this, but we're all sinners. And we're all tragically separated, God, because of our sin. And no amount of being good or doing good things will ever outweigh the sin in our life. That's why God had to robe himself in human flesh and come and live the perfect life. Live a life that we all want to live, but we're all tragically incapable of living. Jesus lived that life with the cross set before him the whole time. And he went to the cross, he stretched out his arms, and he allowed evil men to take nails and put, put them into his wrists and to his feet. And there Jesus died from suffocation. That on that cross, he couldn't even push, eventually he couldn't push himself up enough to keep breathing, but he collapsed. And it was at his death that the Father poured out the full weight of the sin and filth of yours and mine on him, and Jesus paid it all. In three days he rose again from the grave. The Bible has the most amazing promises. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So the question is, have you called in the name of Jesus? Have you called in the name of Jesus, who is God come in the flesh, who paid for your sins? If you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that today. Say, dear God, I am a sinner. And my sin separates me from you. But you love me so much that you came and you paid it all. Save me from my sins. I give you my life. And I pray this in the perfect, precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.